A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Right in the Chuck Oliver Show. We're talking college football. It is what we do when we bring you a newsmaker. Well, it's going to be on the Duncan Newsmaker line. You want, I don't know, a couple of dollars? Feel better? Sour cream donut. Uh, it is a wonderful thing, and it's available at every Dunkin' you go to. So uh, there's my recommendation. The Dunkin' Newsmaker line right now. I'm going to bring you Mike Craven from Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He is a senior writer out there, and we welcome him back to the program. Mike, how you been, brother? Good, sir. How you doing? Oh, oh nothing but good. Appreciate you uh, coming on. Thank you for your time. Uh, we're going to start somewhere that normally we don't, but they're now in power for football, I guess. SMU. Uh, they have started their spring football practice. It's a trade-up in competition. Teams like Houston found that out, for instance. Uh, it's a big, bigger-time conference. How ready for that uh, for the ACC is SMU? You know, I, I think they're ready. You know, I, I don't know if they're ready to compete for a conference championship, but they're ready to, to go to a bowl game and, and be a 7-8 win uh, team their first year. we got to remember, last year they were 11-0 against the G5, 0-3 against the P5, right? They, they lost to TCU. They lost a close game to Oklahoma. Uh, and then they were kind of beaten up a little bit in, in the bowl game against Boston and Boston College. And so uh, they're going to have to get better in the trenches. They've added six transfers on the defensive line, all of them from P5 places, one from Georgia, right? You know, so they've gone, one from Ohio State. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, they got two offensive linemen through the portal, both from Oklahoma. Um, and so they know where they have to get better. I think they're perfectly fine at quarterback and at the skill positions on both sides of the ball. But it's going to be about the offensive line and defensive line and how they handle the the bigger guys in in the P4. Okay, so I'm doing a bunch of draft stuff like everybody, and I see, oh, that Texas D lineman, that Texas E lineman, that Texas receiver, and this other Texas receiver, and that Texas tight end, and that Texas, I like Texas, Texas, Texas. Uh, And then I also look at my notes and say, I picked Texas to win the SEC in 24. Um, Tell me how that's going to happen. Because Quinn Ewers is back, and I know there's some other talent, but tell me how they can be good enough for so many folks to think, yeah, they can compete for the SEC championship in 24. Yeah, I think it's development and recruiting along the offensive and defensive line. Like, look, Texas is going to be fine in the trenches against these these Alabamas and Georgias and Floridas. They they out-physicaled Alabama in week two last year. Uh, and, and that week two win in Tuscaloosa. Kelvin Banks, the left tackle, probably going to be the first or second tackle drafted in 2025. Uh, five or four other five starters, starters on the offensive line. They do lose two really, really good defensive tackles that are going to be, you know, top 60 uh, overall draft picks in the draft. But, you know, Bo Davis did not leave that, that cover bare. You know, Alfred Collins is going to be a future NFL player. They got a couple really young guys who are going to be good. So what I think that Texas has done a really good job of it, you know, compared to what they did the last 12 years is develop. Tom Herman got really good players. Charlie Strong got really good players. 
but they didn't get any better once they were on campus. I think Sark, over these last three three years of him being in Austin, have proven not only are the five stars coming in, but they're five stars going out. And so I, I think that gives confidence to everybody to go, maybe we don't know the guy that's going to step up, but somebody on that campus is going to step up because they're too talented not to. So Quinn Ewers, uh, his two biggest, you know, errors the past two, couple seasons, like a guy fell on him and then he like landed weird on, I think it was his shoulder, I think. Um, but so he's been injured twice. Um, beyond that, do you see anything missing from his game? Like there's everybody can always develop and get better. What's that next thing for Quinn to go, go stratosphere? Yeah, for him, it's, it's deep ball accuracy and then, then moving through his progressions. If the first guy is open, Quinn Ewers is, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the country. If the second guy is open, he is one of the top five quarterbacks in the country. If he's got to get to his third and fourth progression, he's an average quarterback. Now, that's true for a lot of young guys. He didn't play his senior year of high school. He went to Ohio State, uh, sat there, you know, for a whole year, didn't play many snaps, comes to Texas. He's really a true freshman. He gets, he gets injured in a second game and is off and on injured. So last year was his first year to really start you know, 10-plus games since he was a junior in high school. And back when he was a junior at South Lake Carroll, he was injured during that year as well and missed a few games. And so he hasn't played a ton of football uh, leading into his career at Texas. He now has, you know, 20 games under his belt, a lot of starts. So I think he's getting better at that. But for him, this offseason, it's deep ball accuracy and then getting through his progressions and, and being good with his third and fourth option. Connor Wegman, um, what's he going to be? Because I'd heard some of the same things. People telling me, no, I've seen him in person. I've known that kid since he was a sophomore in high school. He's going to be great. And I'm like, you just told me that about Haynes King. Um, <laughs> everybody's an individual that's their own deal. Tell me why Connor Wegman, or can he still be a special, special college quarterback? And I'm, I'm one of those guys that will tell you that thing, right? I, I've known him since he was a sophomore in high school, and the kid's a winner. He's a, he's a gamer. Uh, for him, it, it's about the offensive line. Like, he hadn't had much much chance, right? I mean, if you're just getting buried every third snap, you know, you don't have a lot of options there. I, I think a more college quarterback-friendly playbook will help him, right? Jimbo, you know, gave him an encyclopedia, and, and I think that's, you know, hindered a few of the quarterbacks that came through A&M, including Haynes King, yep. who ended up, you know, playing pretty well this year after, after he transferred. And so I think getting away from the Jimbo offense will help. I think having a better offensive line uh, will help. We've got to remember A&M hadn't played a starting quarterback for more than 10 games in the season since 2020, right? I mean, they've gotten quarterbacks hurt in 21 and 22 and 23. If they can keep him upright with the weapons they have, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, easily digestible offense will also help kind of unlock his, his potential. But it's there for sure. All right. Um, let's go to place that we normally don't cover as well but gj kenny i remember covering him when he was a quarterback and he was a doke walker this that you know whatever at tulsa he's just an amazing quarterback uh well he's now a head coach and he's going to be on some people's radar he may not be yet talk about what may be ahead for him yeah i i think he's you know one of the best and brightest coaches in the country much less texas uh went into baylor in his first game as an fbs head coach last year and, and beat the brakes off the bears I, I know in retrospect baylor wasn't very good but texas state should never do that to baylor even if baylor's not good so uh a great offensive coach a winner won it incarnate word got them to the fcs semifinals in his only year there 
has won at Texas State. you got to remember, that's a program that had never been to a bowl game. They win eight games. They win a bowl game. Uh, they drink SMU out of their stadium in that bowl game, and kind of a fun side note there. Um, and so I think he's, an, he's young. He's exciting. He understands the portal and how to roster build. He was in the NFL so I don't think he minds having some short-term kind of contracts looking at it that way. Um, and so, you know, I, it seems like the head coaches are getting younger and younger in college football outside of like Willie Fritz being hired at Houston. And Kenny's going to be one of those guys that's a, a power four, power five guy, not, not too long from now. Maybe even you know, this time next year he's taking another, another job. Last thing for you, a big fan of Willie Fritz. I know Houston, they've got money. They've got, you know, evolving and improving facilities, and they're good now. But, um, boy, the jump-in competition, and that's what I'm going to call it, but it didn't work for them. It was a it was a steep, steep uh, learning curve last year. Uh, where are they? 24, I'm talking big picture. Where is Houston in this transition and, like, their reacclimation to playing at the highest level like they did in the Southwest Conference? Yeah, I think it's to remember. It's, it's important to remember for these new Big Twelve schools that they they're not getting the full revenue share yet, you know, and so they're not on even playing field. They they for twenty something years, Houston was relegated to you know Division two football, right? Like to G five football, where they weren't ha- they didn't have the money like Texas Tech. They don't have the money like TCU, and that hurts with your alumni as well, right? It's harder to raise money when you're playing against Tulsa. It's easier to do it when you're playing against Baylor and Tech and some of those teams that. You know, we kind of grew up watching Houston play again. So I think it's going to take a couple of years for them to kind of get it all the way turned around. I think that's why Willie Fritz is a great hire. He's a pretty patient program builder. Year one's usually not tremendous under Willie Fritz, but by the time you're in year three, you're competing for a conference championship. I think that's what they wanted. And I talk about this a lot. I know this isn't a unique thought, but coaching changes are a lot like dating, right? When you're done with one person, you kind of look for the opposite in the next person. And you could not find a better opposite of Dana Holgerson than Willie Fritz. I think it's going to be good for Houston just to have a ball coach in there that just worries about football, doesn't care about much else, is going to get into the city, is going to recruit, is going to do all those little things that maybe Holgerson doesn't enjoy doing. I don't think 2024 is going to show a lot of sunshine, but I do think by the time we get into 25, 26, Houston is, is up there in contention. Wrapping up, Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas football folks at football, Texas, like high school, college, whatever. It's in the book, man, I promise you. Mike, uh, quickly, uh, just a confirmation or no, Chuck, it's changed because there's always a lag in, like, the perception of a place. Is Houston still one of those, oh, yeah, every recruiter knows the way. you got to go to Houston to get option quarterbacks who turn into receivers and to get uh, linebackers? Oh, yeah. I mean, Houston and Dallas are definitely the epicenters for recruiting in, in the state. And, you know, I would say the athleticism in Houston is second to none. I mean, the last time I looked, per capita, Houston has produced more NFL players uh, than anywhere else in the country, right? It's Houston, Dallas, Miami, you know, New Orleans. And so, uh, yeah, the athletes, a uh, ton of them there in Houston. I think the thing for Willie is keeping them in town and, and playing in Power Four, Power Five football, yeah. being in the Big 12 should help that. Yeah, you know, like Memphis is one of those that back in the day, it was, oh, yeah, Memphis is good as anybody. And then it shifted to the middle of the state, if not to the east of Tennessee at some point. So it does change in some places, but Houston has. And all right, last thing for you, uh, I'm excited this coming year, uh, the Thursday and Friday before the Texas State Fair, we're going to be broadcasting there. Our producer, Heath Klein's putting that together. Um, nice. There is, is there any sort of move on either side? I've heard neither side wants to leave the old Cotton Bowl, not like the game, the Cotton Bowl, the stadium, the Cotton Bowl. Um, I know it empties into the state fair and that's part of it and all that. Like that's the opposite. Everybody else wants to get out of the old place into the shiny new sparkly place. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they'll – playing an AT&T would be a not a death knell. I mean, that's an over-exaggeration. But if you're going to do that, you might as well go to home and home. And so uh, it's got to be at the State Fair. They are putting a couple hundred million dollars into that stadium. They're going to renovate some of it. They're going to start on, the I think, the west side and then move to the east side. Uh, after that and so it is going to get better there are going to be more bathrooms press box suites yep. are going to get a little bit better uh, but the tradition of it it's right in the middle of, of Oklahoma and Austin like I think it's like two miles difference between Norman and Austin the Cotton Bowl is and so it's it's the perfect place to have it as long as the stadium can stay up to par I think they keep it there as long as they can fried pumpkin pie I just got to have it so uh, <laughs> we're going to be there Mike I appreciate you coming on today all right are you a mustard or uh, ketchup guy in the corn dog Oh, mustard only. Not even the cheese is fine, and you can put other accoutrements. Never ketchup, but if you give me a fresh out-of-the-basket corn dog with mustard across it, I'm the happiest guy at the fair. Yep, correct answer. I appreciate that. All right, Mike. We'll talk to you soon, friend. Yes, sir. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. So, if you've ever had that, also, this is another thing, pork rinds. Right out of the basket? Um, and then you put whatever the accoutrement, whatever the seasoning or the sprinkle or the shake or whatever you want on there, you can do that. Uh, but fresh, it's a delicacy. I don't say that with exaggeration in the least. Right out of the right out of the basket, corn dog. My goodness, this is magical. Ribeye, sure, I'll take it. Corn dog out of the basket, yes. Now the Texas State Fair from the freezer that you do in the microwave at home, I'll still roll with a couple of those with mustard. But as far as delicacy and stand in line and here's $8 for it, yeah, that's going to be this year in Dallas. So, like I said, very much looking forward to that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, uh, come back, continue rolling through this Friday next. Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show continuing on this Friday. Certainly appreciate you coming here for your college football conversation. And we've been doing it, like I said, for 10 years. And it's just uh, it's two hours a day. And it's, keep it in those narrow lanes and we're going to be happy. I would mentioned earlier that Nick Saban, boy, he didn't recognize the bargain. Keenan Allen, who had all kinds of bad press. There was all kinds of like, he, that kid's sketchy, this, that, and the other. Um, when he was in recruiting, because he was, the thought was that this five-star receiver was going to Alabama because Alabama had true loved him and they were in the five-star receiver business. And they were just, boom, going to roll right along. And Julio was going to leave. And this kid was going to be the next. And so, boom, there you go. It's going to be great. And then it didn't happen. And a big part of why it didn't happen is because Alabama backed away. And that was the language that started to get used. Alabama, Alabama backed off of the recruiting. Now, there were players, like every program at some point backs away from recruiting a kid. Sometimes it's comical. Well, we backed away from the five-star. Have you, UTEP? Um, yeah, every so often there's a five-star that is from El Paso and the Miners, we backed away from recruiting the kid uh, because he wouldn't even take a visit. And, like, he passes your campus on his way to high school and home. So, yes, you backed away. Now, this really was, he may be going to Tuscaloosa. Ooh, Bama's not pursuing him anymore. 
And so because it was 2009 or 10 or whatever, I sent an email to my guy over in uh, Tuscaloosa. Had a guy. And I was like, uh, what's up with Keenan Allen? When he told me, it was kind of a letdown. I was like, oh. And there were rumors that this was included as well, but they it just wasn't tasty. His brother was already playing quarterback in college. His half-brother was two years older. And Keenan Allen's like, you got to take my brother. I want to play with my brother for a couple of years. I want the opportunity. He still has to win the job. But I'll go somewhere. You'll take him. And Cal Berkeley was like, all right, we'll take both of you because we normally couldn't get you, and he may be good enough. He played at Buffalo for two years, uh, maybe. And so he played at Cal some, and he completed some passes to his half-brother. So it kind of worked out for them when they were in college. It's really worked out for Keenan Allen. And I'm going to tell you, you can't fake it for 11 years in the NFL. You can't. That guy has been a solid pro, and it was about sketchy and sideways and handout. And what's that kid want? He's this, that. Mm-mm. He didn't want to play with his brother. Nick Saban said no. It was the way to get a kid into school with an extra benefit. There are all kinds of – there were triplets, actually. And I was like, who's the ball player? Um, there were triplets out of suburban Atlanta, the lucky triplets. And I want to say it was Dustin, Miles, and, well, they were triplets, so there was a third kid. And George is like, we're taking all three. And I was like, not a chance in the world that a woman birthed three kids within, I don't know, like an hour, and all three are good enough, truly good enough to play at Georgia. I was like, one of them is, maybe two of them. But that just, I mean, the odds of that happening, it's just it, not going to happen. So George got all three of them. And I can't remember, maybe all three of them turned out to be ball players, but there were triplets, and I was like, yeah, that's a package deal. And I, this is, was always my response when there were, like, angered fan bases about, uh, I mentioned earlier, Dayreek Rogers. My gosh, go look at Dayreek coming out of high school. I said, I'll give him three scholarships. Well, wait a minute, Chuck, you criticized Tennessee. I did not criticize Tennessee. Earlier, I said they used to scholarship because Dayreek didn't want one for his brother or half-brother or cousin or whatever. He was like, my best friend, my high school quarterback. I want this guy to come to college with me. If you take me, you have to give one to my high school quarterback. Well, his high school quarterback was good enough to play in college. Not at that college. Not at Tennessee. In a college, in a different college, just not that one. And so, Dayreek, that was his thing. And so, Tennessee was like, I'll do it. I said at the moment, I didn't say it was, uh, I didn't criticize Tennessee. I said it didn't work out because he couldn't play and he left. And for Dayreek, at some point, there was a story about Tennessee had a season-ending game against Kentucky. And if they win, they go to a bowl game. And apparently Dayreek was like, like before the game to his teammates, yeah, if we win, it's not going to be a good bowl, though. So it doesn't even matter if we win today. (laughs) It's like, Dayreek, just don't work against me. Just don't fight against me. I want to say it was him and another kid, Justin Hunter, two big, giant, huge receivers, totally different kids, but the physical build. And Dayreek was Dayreek, and then Justin, I think, came down wrong against uh, Florida and the knee, and so it wasn't the same, and so it never really developed into what it was. For like a few moments, you said, oh, this is about to be special, and never really got there consistently. Uh, but I always said, I don't care. You use, they're your scholarships. 85 Scott there you can use them any way you want to 
You can use two or three scholarships. If you want the kid, get the kid. That's all. That's your deal. You decide if it's worth it. I never criticized a program for doing it. I just said, right, we need to acknowledge this, what's going on. And in the case of Nick Saban, he's like, no. Which, if there was any head coach, and he probably said it that way, by the way, and then he, like, yelled at a golden retriever puppy. Um, if there was any coach in college football that was going to respond to a high school senior saying, yeah, my man, give me another scholarship. It's like, no. Andre Hastings, if you remember him, he was a big top-ranked receiver coming out of Morrow, Georgia. Apparently, he had a demand. He wanted a private bathroom. He said, I just cannot share a bathroom with another person. <laughs> Ray Goff in Georgia was like, sold! Private bathroom for the freshman. So, some places you can have demands. Um, private bathroom, whatever that cost Georgia, that's a deal compared to the scholarship. And the scholarship that Nick Saban said no to, well, that's a deal to what's going on now. Heath, what's swinging, man? So, the folks at the uh, Circa in Las Vegas have come out with their Heisman Trophy odds, Chuck. Uh, they've got more than 100 names on this list, around 115 it looks like. The field has disappeared, hasn't it? The field, uh, the field is not on the list. Yeah. But uh, there are, out of the top 12, Chuck, the uh, the best odds are 7-1, to one, and then you've got a, a group of four guys that are 20-1. to one. So out of the first 12 guys, which are all between 7 and 20-1, to one, how many do you think are SEC starting quarterbacks in 2024? Out of the first how many did you first say? First 12. Six. Close. We got seven. You got Carson Beck, seven to one. Yeah. You got Quinn Ewers, seven to one. Then you got Garrett Nussmeyer, Jackson Dart, and Nico Yamaleva, all at twelve to one. The first non-SEC quarterback that shows up is a Cam Ward with Miami at fifteen to one, along with Jalen Milrow and Will Howard in that group. And then in the twenty to one, you've got uh, Connor Wigman in there from A and M, along with Avery Johnson at uh, K State, Dylan Gabriel at Oregon and Riley Leonard at Notre Dame. But seven of your top 12 candidates, according to Vegas right now, for the Heisman Trophy are starting quarterbacks in the SEC. That's that's kind of bananas. It is. If you remember when the ACC had the year where we looked around, it was like, they may be the best conference in college football. They had the best quarterbacks in college football that year. All right? So when you do have NFL guy Sam Howell and NFL guy Trevor Lawrence and like NFL guy, NFL guy everywhere – even i'll say that even a conference like the acc could be the best in football for that year imagine if it's the southeastern conference and they got the best and the most and the deepest and the highest rated prospects at quarterback in addition to everything they already have in mind they also got the best quarterback play for the coming season snap Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash john. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. 
Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show rolling along on this Friday and changes the foot in the college football playoff. The 12 teams, oh no, that's not going to last. It looks like there is a, a lot of momentum heading towards a 14-team playoff. We still have conference, I guess, realignment and expansion. Pac-12 is trying to be involved in that in some way. want to welcome right now on our Duncan Newsmaker line from ESPN.com, it is Heather Denich. Heather, how are you doing today? I'm great, and you're right. Changes unfolding by the minute in the college football playoff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, July 21, uh, NCAA was like, all right, we're going to change everything and then abdicate. We're just going to walk away. Um, so let's talk about, first of all, the expanded playoffs, which we barely even knew you, maybe. Um, we know what it is for the next two years. What is your percentage? What does your pie graph look like for 14-team playoff will begin in 26? Well, that's the direction that the discussions are trending towards. And I do think there's positive momentum towards that. And I think there's a good chance of that happening. The question is, can the commissioners in the room and in turn their university presidents agree on the revenue distribution, how many automatic qualifiers each conference should receive and the governance structure overall of the CFP. There are very weighty issues that they're dealing with right now, but the one that college football fans care about is going to be the automatic qualifiers. Uh, SEC and Big Ten, they're the only two in the Cool Kids Club where they get to say, we want three and we're going to get it. What else do the other conferences maybe insist on or at least ask for? This is a tricky spot because the SEC and the Big Ten are definitely throwing their weight around in the room. There's no doubt about that. And they're doing that because they are going to be the two biggest and wealthiest conferences in the country. And their argument is basically our three and four loss teams are going to be better than some other two loss teams that play against weaker schedules and weaker conferences. And so there's definitely people out there who aren't happy with this but at some point there have to be concessions made in order to push this through in order to get the tv deal done and have everything wrapped up in a nice little bow and so the one of the main issues right now is that the big 10 and sec in addition to asking for three automatic spots for each of their leagues is also asking, according to sources, that their respective conference champions get the only two buys in this particular model. And I know there's going to be pushback on that. So the question is, are there concessions made elsewhere in regards to maybe voting power, which is going to be weighted, maybe in revenue, whatever it might be, but that's the big issue and that's going to be a sticking point if that's the model that they focus on i should emphasize that these conversations are fluid this model that has gained the most traction is only one that they're considering i don't know how many they have on the table but it's not done yet they're definitely talking about this and none of it's easy 
If it expands to 14, uh, more likely Notre Dame does mm-hmm, something other than be independent, less likely, or zero effect? Zero effect. Um, I see that in talking with sources, and quite frankly, they're fine with the fact that they don't have to risk um, losing in a conference championship game. They're fine that they get to host a first-round game. Let's start with the next two years, right, in a 12-team playoff. College football fans need to understand that Notre Dame could be the number one team in the country on Selection Day. Undefeated, hands down, best team in the country, but they can only get that number five seed. That's the highest seed that they can get just minutes after the committee releases its final top 25 because they don't play in a conference championship game, obviously, to your point about their independence. But they would get to host a first-round game, and they're going to have to win four straight games to win the national title. And that would be the same in a 14-team playoff because they can't win a conference title. They wouldn't be guaranteed a spot like those other conference champions would. So they would have to earn one of those at-large bids in order to be in the playoff. But my understanding is that that would not influence them or sway them to join a conference. Heather Dan at GSPN.com. Um, I want to expand a little bit out of that, but it's all this. I mean, there are so many layers to the onion. Um, mm-hmm. SMU, uh, bully for them saying, we got fat stacks, we got the wallets, the alums, all that. We got a law school. Um, so we will take no money for, not, okay, nine years. Um, mm-hmm. What's the chance, like, this is the ultimate punk job. In 2033, there ain't much of an ACC left to be in. That's a great question, Um, and so much of that revolves around the legal issues with Florida State, but the other thing is is that Florida State, and any other school for that matter, has to have somewhere to go, and all indications are that as we sit here right this skinny minute, nobody's inviting Florida State to join their conference. And the truth of the matter is there are other schools in the ACC that are more appealing to conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC, North Carolina, Virginia, because of their location, their academics. So, you know, I would be surprised, I guess, if Florida State was un- was able to untangle itself legally from the ACC's grant of rights. But at the same time, I've been covering college athletics long enough to know that realignment is never over. Wrapping up, Heather Dennett, gsbn.com. Um, let's go. Oh, my goodness. I was going to say big picture. This is like satellite image because it's the future <laughs> and I have no idea. Uh, Pac-12 Commissioner Teresa Gould said, and I'm going to quote her, we're considering all options. I am not mm-hmm. trying to be snarky. I'm all ears. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those options? Because they got a two-year thing that starts like July 1st. The NCAA turns over that thing from Wizard of Oz. They got like two years worth of red sand in that. And then they're not a conference anymore. Um, They got two years to get something done. What are they going to get done? That's right. And I was on that media video conference yesterday with Teresa Gould, the new Pac-12 commissioner. And their options are mainly this. One, either get invited to a Power 5 conference, which doesn't appear to be on the horizon. Two, join the Mountain West Conference, which would essentially be surrendering their position that says we are Power 5 when it comes to revenue distribution, voting rights, CFP, and we want to keep it that way. 
And three, the third option is a what they're describing as a reverse merger, which means that all of the schools in the Mountain West Conference would join the Pac-12 and operate under that umbrella. That would bring forward very contentious discussions about whether or not the Pac-12 is still a Power 5 conference because it would be disguising itself basically under a label with schools that get revenue distribution on the level of a group of five. So those are the three main options, um, but you're right. They're on a two-year clock to figure it out. All right, let's step out of media members here, and I'm just going to be a fan again for a second, and you tell me if you can from that same perspective. I look at the Big 12 and what they've morphed into. Is it elite, top-level football? It, it can be close, um, but it's it's not Big 10 or SEC, but it's, it's still plenty really good football. It looks like a fun, wide-open, shoot-em-up sort of uh, conference every single year where in the SEC and those Big 10, we look at about two or three teams and say who really might be the monster. I think this thing looks fun and wide open. I agree with you. It is fun and wide open, but I will say that it lost its two biggest brands. It lost its eye-popping, clearly defined, here is the school and the program that everyone wants to see that's going to represent us in the college football playoffs. Every other conference appears to have that, whether it's Florida State in the ACC, Clemson trying to right the ship and and get back – And then you look at the others, they all have multiple contenders. Without OU and Texas, who who's carrying the banner? Who's the flagship program school? Is it Oklahoma State? Is it going to be is Baylor going to get back under Dave Aranda? Can TCU get back to the college football playoff? No one knows the answer to that, but that does make it fun and exciting, to your point. Um, But I'm also equally as excited to see Ohio State play Oregon and USC and those matchups. And when those things happen and we're watching good football, it doesn't matter what conference they're in. Oh, yeah, that's five times. That's five levels above. Um, And you're right, because there is a dynamic. This is the flip side of what I'd said about fun and wide open is even in the Big Ten, like it's great for Michigan State when they go undefeated and get to play in the Rose Bowl back in the day. It ain't Mm -hmm. so good for the Big Ten when Michigan State is the team pulling along the conference. When Wake Forest Mm -hmm. wins the ACC, that was not good for the ACC. It was great for Wake Forest. So the thing is, that's kind of baked into it. That's what it will be every year in the Big 12. Heather, I appreciate your input. So much fun expertise from you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Heather Dennett, ESPN.com. All right, Chuck Oliver Show. We're going to take a break. Continue right along on this Friday next. More college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. It's a like drinking water through a fire hose for those new coaches. But we have tremendous support staff here. we got a great coordinators to onboard each one. We haven't had to deal with a lot of uh, a turnover. So when you get somebody new, you welcome them in the family and you onboard them. You take them through and say, this is how we do things at Georgia. Kirby Smart talking about the turnover with his coaching staff just leading up to spring practice. It's a reality, and I will tell you, Kirby Smart and those who have the head-down approach that I am not necessarily concerned with the big picture and the long-term ramifications, I am. But right now, I have a coaching staff to complete. I have a roster to fill out. I have a practice schedule to publish. I have 
all of these things in my day that I have to populate answers for because I'm the head coach. So I have ideas about the big picture direction, but I'm going to leave that to the AD, to the president, to the commissioner of the conference, to those folks, because uh, we are all in sync with either Georgia's or SEC's priorities, et cetera. So that's, that's going to work itself out. I need to hire a receivers coach. And so Kirby is one of those very bottom line guys. And you look at the coaches that are having the most ultimate bottom line success right now. That is absolutely their approach. That's what matters to me. It's brought to you every day by This Stuff Matters. Fantastic day in Chuck Oliver show on the Dunkin' Newsmakers line. Told you about the sour cream donuts. Yum, yum. Come get you some. Dunkin' Donuts. Sour, that'd be my number one pick. We're going to have power rankings. Toasted coconut donut. Probably two. They know what they're doing at Duncan. Uh, Jason Caldwell came on earlier in the program. We talked Auburn, of course. That's what we do with Jason. And uh, Auburn Undercover 247. We talked about Peyton Thorne. We talked about the great receiver uh, hall uh, in recruiting. This is not like when you go back maybe 2016, I want to say. This is what we don't know in recruiting. I was ecstatic that Auburn got a kid named Nate Craig Myers. And this is no you know, point to call anybody out about what happened or didn't. I mean, he's a five-star recruit for a reason. Just didn't really turn out big time for him in college at a few different places. Auburn, then he transferred to Colorado State, then UCF. Um, and I was disappointed. Auburn gets this five-star receiver, Nate Craig Myers, and it's going to work out. It's going to be. And there were four receivers in that class that you looked at and thought, wow, this really transforms things. And to varying degrees, it didn't work out for two of them. For one of them, it really didn't work out at all. One of them became a dependable, you know, good player. Um, but overall, you looked at it and it's like, we just had four kids come in and it didn't, it was supposed to transform and it wasn't even impactful at all. That cannot be the outcome for this year's incoming class of receivers. I mean, it's just, it's two big, giant physical kids and then two other kids that are either speed merchants or athletic uh just like top end elite on the athletics uh measurements just everything that you're looking to populate that wide receiver core with well they're doing it with freshmen but they're doing it now and so we talked about that their new receiver coy moore still plays college football do we realize that coy moore still playing college football uh so again duncan newsmakers line appreciate jason caldwell coming on under an auburn undercover uh earlier this hour mike craven dave campbell's texas football senior writer there and then we just heard from heather dennis of course from espn.com talking about the expanded playoffs the ones that start this fall know the ones that are likely to start two falls from this fall the 14 team playoff and then how those bids are going to be divided up. Well, there's going to be 14 of them, and all right, well, how many are going to be guaranteed, like reserved for someone that checks this box, like I'm from the SEC, for instance, and I'm one of the three highest-ranked teams from the SEC, so I get three of them. And the Big Ten says, yes, we'll take that same deal, so we get three of them. So that's six. Uh, how are we dividing the rest of these up? Guaranteed spots and Notre Dame's looking around going, well, this is actually a way better deal for us. So uh, when it usually there is this outlier sort of profile of a program that doesn't have the same priorities as everyone else, I said earlier that the new AD at uh, Notre Dame, Pete Bavacqua, just wake him up when it's time to vote. That's where he is right now. There, I, The fix is in. If there's one AD that I don't need to hear the presentation, I know how I'm voting. You cannot sway me. 
Yes, I vote yes on proposal 14. That's Bavakwa. And he takes over just a couple of weeks from Jack Swarbrick. So it, and when it's time to vote, he's like, yeah, just wake me. I'm good. I know how, I know where we're going with this. This is a big, big, big improvement for Notre Dame, and it's going to be a big improvement uh, monetarily as wise uh, as well. And it will also take one big, giant step down the road of furthering to separate the Big Ten and the SEC from what everybody else is doing, which I believe is part of the ultimate goal to draw further established in writing divides between what we two do and what the rest of y'all do. And so this is one more step in that. Like who's in the new alliance, the Big Ten and the SEC? Who's saying, uh, and I asked Heather Dennis about it. She's like, yeah, they're throwing their weight around. Uh, who's in the room kind of driving this expansion? Because, look, we can leave it at 12, but we're still getting guaranteed spots here. Have your playoffs without us. Maybe we'll have our own playoffs. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. So let's expand it to 14 then so that we can have enough for them. No, you expand it to 14 so you can have enough for you. That's where they sit. Hey, what's going on, man? couple things here, Chuck. One, uh, Georgia State continues to put together the Isle of Misfit toys for their uh, their staff, name brand staff at Georgia State. Uh, Damian Craig, the latest person to join up. He, of course, was college teammates with Del McGee and then yep. uh, most recently been at A&M. Guy who's known for being an ace recruiter. So uh, we'll see whether they can keep the talent if they can get it there at, at Georgia State for more than a year or two. But they seem to be putting together a crew that will be able to do that. The Football Rules Committee has got three proposed changes. These have all been expected, but now it looks like it'll happen unless there's some real surprise on April 18th. Coach to helmet, player communication, sideline tablets, and the one that probably will get fans' attention the most, the two-minute warning. Looks like it's coming to college football. Yeah, you got to get those commercials in somewhere. So, uh, yeah, two-minute warning. The the official explanation is with the two-minute warning, It'll give them a chance to reset everything, be ready for the clock rules on the other side of the two-minute. Doesn't feel super necessary. Meanwhile, the Combine continues to go on, Chuck. And at the Combine, players get a chance to meet with the teams. They also get a chance to meet with the media. They get asked questions. Uh, Romo Dunze today, I think helping his draft stock with his answer to the question, can you land a plane in an emergency? I don't know if you've seen this or not, Chuck. There's a, a dangerously large segment of American males who believe that they can land a plane in an emergency despite having absolutely no training to do so. Uh-huh. Romo Dunze, quote, we are going down. All souls are perished. <laughs> he, he Rome knows, lives in the adult world. Yes, he, he knows his strengths. He knows his limitations. He is not under the impression just because he is a spectacular athlete that he is capable of landing hey, a jumbo hey, jet over the phone. That, do, is, that is not a thing. Do you remember... I think it was Arian Foster claiming that he could defeat a coyote in hand-to-hand combat. He said a bunch of stuff like that, so sure. Yeah, like, I don't think we have proper understandings about what life throws at us sometimes. Good for Rome. Maybe he'll go, like, six instead of eight. Yeah, I I, I like the answer compared to the answer that uh, came out from Tyler Owens, the Texas Tech safety. I don't even know how this happened. But if you find yourself in—remember, the Combine— is a job interview setting. I mean, that's what it is in the end for these guys. You know, you you might go into the office, put on the tie, and try and get that director of marketing role or whatever. These guys are trying to get on a roster. Uh, Tyler Owens, quote, I don't believe in space. I don't think there's other planets and stuff like that. 
Tyler, here's your $4 for parking. We appreciate your time. This was a really nice experience for us. Um, then you speak into the lapel. Uh, Tyler's walking out. Just kind of walk up. Make sure he gets to his car. He explained that he'd seen some flat earth videos online and felt like they made some really good points. Yeah. Not not on the list. This is this is from your friends here at the Chuck Oliver Show. List of things not to say in the job interview. Mm-hmm. That's pretty high on the list. I want good things for that kid. I don't think that, like, he really had a proper grasp of what he was uh or or even the setting it's not even just a proper grasp of what he was saying to whom he was saying it there are things that did you hear kirby smart he called himself out for what he said during his job interview with nick saban i don't believe i did he said when he was going in there lance thompson who was a linebackers coach there he said hey kirby let me just go ahead and tell you every year here it's like coaching dog years it's like seven years of coaching every year with him and so Kirby says, I get in the interview, and I was like, yeah, one of your coaches told me it's like dog years coaching. He's like, why would I say that? I'm trying to get a job here. And I told him it's like being said. He's like, so sometimes words come tumbling out your mouth that it's just not a very good idea to say, uh, or at least in the setting. Don't say it there. Heath and David and all of you, the guest, what a fun week. 22 hours from now? No, a few days from now. We'll be back on Monday. More college football conversation all along the networks, what we do every day and have been for almost a decade. Appreciate y'all tuning in, coming here for your college football convo. All the guests and the experts and the analysis you want right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com.